Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. Um, the long story short is that we're here today to announce that Coronado Park is now closed. That was Albuquerque Mayor Tim Keller announcing the official closure of a notorious city park known as Coronado Park. The closure was sudden and surprising, announced last week on August 17th after years of problems tied to a big homeless camp. Rather than actually just ripping the Band-Aid off, we used a little bit of a hybrid approach. We said we're going to kind of slowly peel it off and then when we're ready, we'll rip the rest off. And so we were ready today, but we had plenty of outreach. Uh, but we also knew at some point, you just have to say it's closed. And that point is today. That homeless camp at Coronado has gotten a lot of attention over the last year, particularly after the reshaping of Albuquerque City Council during the November 2021 city election. That's when we saw a few new conservative councilors take office. Officially, Coronado Park is supposed to be a big green space under some giant cottonwood trees with a skate park and a dog park. But really, since 2019, it has been a camp for more than 100 people at times. A few weeks back, Mayor Tim Keller first announced that the park would be closed in August, but he didn't give a solid date at that time. At that point, the mayor's office said the city was on track to close the park by the end of August. But as we mentioned, on Wednesday, August 17th, the mayor and the city did officially close the park after one of their regularly scheduled park cleanouts. About 40 or so people who were still camping there were told to leave, and the park is also now closed to the public. Most of the people who'd been camping at Coronado Park, the city said, had already moved on after receiving notice of the closure, and outreach efforts will continue. But how did Coronado Park get like this in the first place, and what is that true impact of what happens inside that park? We'll get into all of that with a returning guest here this week, someone who covers downtown extensively. He is Peter Rice. He publishes the Downtown Albuquerque News. And a quick note, Chris and I had this discussion with Peter just a day before the mayor made that surprise announcement. The park is officially closed. Here's our conversation. Peter Rice joins us back here on the podcast. Peter, thanks so much for joining us again. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. And on a topic that you have covered a lot over the last eight, nine months here as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Coronado Park is uh, the returning champion of stories. It's been, I mean, it, it, it kind of really got to be a high profile story around uh, Albuquerque media in the last, you know, ever since the election, I think, when when a couple of new city councilors really started hammering it. Uh, but it's been a it's been a perennial challenge uh, since going back to when I first started reporting on it in 2019 and many years before that. And without yet getting into the homeless camp that's been there for so long, do you have any memory or memories of Coronado Park before the homeless camping situation? I don't personally. I didn't I didn't grow up in town. Uh, so when I moved here in 05, 06, it was it was kind of at that point a de facto homeless day shelter, uh, which is mostly what it has been uh, with with some episodes of being an encampment, like formally or not informally, formally, I guess. Right. Uh, so I never really knew it as a park. 
Uh, however, there, there are many generations of Albuquerqueans right up to the mayor himself who knew it as the place where the famous 2927 steam locomotive was parked. Uh, they moved that to a restoration site elsewhere in the Wells Park neighborhood in 2001. You know, just from hearing the stories about that, it sounds awesome, right? Like that would have, I was a train guy as a, as a boy, I would have been playing on that thing every chance I could, I could drag my parents to, to take me. So it, it does have this idyllic past uh, of being a kind of green space on the north edge of town. Uh, you know, what was in the 50s, the north edge of town. I've talked to people who would, you know, slingshot prairie dogs there back in the, the 40s. Uh, Creamland had a, an, an ice cream stand. I mean, they still have a facility there, but they had like a walk-up counter where you could get ice cream and hang out in this park, which at that point was not next to I-40 because it hadn't been built yet. Um, even after it was built, it, it seems like up until the 90s, different people get off this boat at different times, but uh, it was, it was, you know, in living memory, it was definitely a real park that a lot of people really enjoyed. Hard to imagine. It is hard to imagine. How would you say Coronado Park has changed over the years? You mentioned the 90s kind of seemed like that time when things really shifted. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's difficult to tell. There's nobody really doing regular census work or anything like that on, on who's at the park. We do know that in the late 90s, uh, a social service organization or two started doing work there. So they'd pass out food or you know, talk about God or something like that to, to the folks there. Um, and I think that that kind of increased over the years. Um, at some point, the city started using it as a pickup spot for its West Side shelter. Then during uh, Keller's first or second year, they changed the West Side shelter from a, a winter only thing to a year round thing. So then it then it kind of kicked that up a notch. But that's all in the background of, you know, the last 20 years of homelessness in America getting a lot worse. So there's a lot of there's there's some local factors that aren't well documented and some national factors that are well documented, but are hard to you know quantify in terms of one park in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, but yeah, I'd say like late nineties up to today, there's been a slow ratcheting up of, of the problems there. This is an interesting situation. I feel as a journalist, because there's, there's not really a lot of people out there documenting the rise and fall of a particular green space. You do have to kind of piece it together through a lot of the local news accounts that just pop up sort of over time. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, very anecdotal situation and it's gotten perhaps less anecdotal in the last three years because there's been more of a, an effort to somehow, anyhow, manage the situation there. Uh, the city's tried a lot of stuff, uh, over it, particularly over the pandemic. Uh, we can you know, get into what they've done, but yeah, it's, it's a real improvisational act. And, and particularly in the last three years, that, that larger homelessness trend we're talking about has, has also been harder to quantify. A lot of weird stuff happening in the housing market, uh, you know, a lot of, random drugs coming down the bike that uh, people get addicted to. Uh, so it seems like it was a slow evolving situation before. And in the last few years, it's been more fast evolving. And this summer, speaking of quantifying the problem, it definitely seems like police are trying to, at least in the way they presented it at that news conference. Um, let's talk a little bit about the current situation. The park has turned into a, an area where criminals show up and prey on the vulnerable. and. We have victims related to drug trafficking, as the mayor spoke about, uh, sex trafficking, human trafficking, 
victims of batteries and assaults, homicides, and in some cases, even extortion. At the news conference that the mayor held recently, Albuquerque police offered multiple facts and figures to us speaking to the dangerous situation at the park. They said Albuquerque police received 418 calls for service directly at Coronado Park. And they also listed a whole bunch of seizures. They've taken handguns, 4,500 fentanyl pills, methamphetamine, heroin, cocaine. They talked about felony warrants cleared, federal warrants, a couple shootings. There was a murder battery report. So basically they're painting a picture that this is like a violent park. It's totally a violent park. And residents of the park who I've talked to would would wholeheartedly agree with that and, and have volunteered that. It's not safe. And we knew that back in 2020, right? Or or, or earlier, right? Like, so in, in the, I'll, I'll give you the, the very brief history of what the city's done with Coronado Park in the last three years. So in 2019, they... They had, you know, one of their occasional, okay, we're getting really serious about this. So they fenced off a lot of the dog park, although didn't, you can still get into it. They just kind of fenced off the perimeter green spaces uh, to prevent people from camping there. They had a kind of zero tolerance situation where they, APD would show up every night at 10 PM when the park closed and issue citations and, you know, kick people out who, who wanted to camp there. Uh, solid waste would show up in the morning uh, to clean things up uh, as the park opened. And that situation kind of lasted until the pandemic started and everything went haywire and CDC started recommending that you leave encampments alone. And so essentially the city, because of public health guidelines, allowed this encampment to establish itself. Uh, And then three homicides happened in, in 2020 you know, if we didn't know it was a violent park before, then 2020 was was definitely the, the, the clinching proof. So they broke up the encampment. It's somewhere in the fall of 2020. Uh, the, the Valley Area Commander told me like, okay, we're back to zero tolerance now. Uh, and as late as May of 2021, the administration was, was telling the city council that they were still doing that. Uh, they have it, you know, in an official document. So sometime after May of 2021, they allowed the encampment to reestablish itself. It was definitely there by the fall, late fall of 2021. And then it got violent again, uh, <laughs> to no one's surprise. And then uh, that brings us up to date. So it's, it's, yeah, it's been like this for a long time. And it checks out, right? I mean, you have people who are, are in a tough situation. I mean, some of them are hardened criminals. Some of them are just vulnerable to hardened criminals that prey upon them. And yeah, they're basically unsupervised in a, in a public park with no formal check-in system, no formal designated spots, no security, uh, apart from, you know, whatever time APD can spare. When was the last time you went on the ground there and, and how far have you gone knowing that it's dangerous? No, I was there this morning. I knew I was doing this podcast, so I figured I should have the latest tent count. <laughs> Andy <laughs> had to be in the neighborhood anyway. We call places violent and it's, it's complicated. Right. I mean, I've been to Juarez a lot and it looks like a nice town. You know, it's not. It's got crazy murder levels, Um, but I've had zero problems, you know, crossing the border and getting to the airport and getting a connecting flight. So Coronado Park's kind of like that. Like this morning, it was just quiet. You know, sure, there's a few people yelling at themselves or others wandering around, but basically people just want to, you know, sleep somewhere. And for whatever reason, they don't think of the the city shelter on the west side as a good option. So they just kind of hang out. So, yeah, I mean, it's a dangerous place, but, 
you know, I've, I've walked through there many, many times, talked to a number of its residents and uh, lived to tell about it. What did those folks who you spoke to tell you? From talking to them and from talking to other people who just camp outdoors in public places in, in greater downtown, honestly, their, their reasoning is quite rational. Uh, for the most part. And it varies. It's all over the map. Some people, particularly over the winter, told me that they were afraid of catching COVID at the West Side Shelter. Some people have told me that they have previously been incarcerated at the West Side Shelter when it was a jail and have some painful memories about that. Some people who with clear mental health problems have told me they don't want to be around people with clear mental health problems. Mm. Um, and that kind of checks out. I haven't been to the West Side Shelter, but the, the way they describe it is kind of like a youth hostel, but with some really rough characters uh, and a lot bigger than your average youth hostel. Some people don't get along with the staff over there. There's theft problems. And this is not uncommon, like at homeless shelters around the country. Like some people literally sleep with their shoes on at some places because they're afraid they'll get stolen in the middle of the night. Homeless shelters are just grim, grim places. You know, it's an interesting thought experiment. I've wondered like if I suddenly found myself homeless, if I would, uh, you know, I'm reasonably outdoorsy, I could camp. I wouldn't do it at Coronado Park, but I, I wonder if I would rather camp than go to the homeless shelter. Mm -hmm. And it, I think that would actually be a, a hard choice to make. The other side of this too is of course, what does everybody else around the park think of this situation? Have you heard from neighbors? business owners, people around the park. Oh yeah, they, everyone hates it. Again, not rocket science. You've uh, allowed a settlement for a population that has a lot of mental illness and drug addiction and other random personal problems to camp more or less unsupervised near a bunch of businesses. I mean, there's you know, brew pubs in the area and you know, just random industrial facilities like Creamland has its original plants there uh, from, you know, back in almost a hundred years ago, if memory serves. And, you know, neighbors don't much care for it either. I mean, even if you live in a few blocks away, like towards sixth and seventh, where you're kind of removed from it, uh, it's still pretty freaky to wake up and be like, oh, there was another homicide at this park. And it's also super high profile. Travel around the international district and you will see another Coronado Park. Uh, it's a little more spread out, but there's just a lot of encampments out there. But the International District is not such a prominent place off such a prominent road like I-40. So we tend to obsess about Coronado Park. Uh, but this stuff happens all over the city. Maybe it's just not as not as high profile. But those neighborhood associations and the business owners there have been very vocal over oh, the yeah. years, right? Yeah, the, the brew pub owner who has yep. had like break-ins and knives pulled on staff. Can you tell us any stories that you've heard that stuck out to you? Most of it is just, you know, I woke up and there was someone sleeping in, on my front porch or, you know, there was some feces on my front porch or something like that. Uh, or, you know, somebody started a fire in a dumpster or on a fence or a, a lot of those stories. It's mostly just a day-to-day -day grind of dealing with people who uh, need more help than they're getting. And it's uh, in lieu of the city doing something about it or our larger society. It's we've deputized a bunch of Wells Park and near North Valley neighbors and business owners to deal with a problem for us. And you've done some work to really 
try and quantify this situation. In January, at the start of this year, you started an area homeless count. It's not a homeless count. I should specify it's a tent count, which it's, it's a lot easier to really quantify what a, what a tent is versus what a, a homeless person is. I started that count because the city did not really warn anybody that they were restarting the encampment. They're not terribly communicative about this stuff. I mean, they announced this big closure and that's highly unusual, right? They didn't say too much about allowing the camp to establish itself in early 2020, although maybe we can forgive them for that. It was weird in early 2020. The only way I knew about the return of the zero tolerance policy is because I happened to be interviewing the Valley Area Commander about something completely different. But they didn't have a press conference for that. You know, they didn't uh, they didn't have a press conference for saying we're going to allow this camp to reestablish itself again. They don't really warn people on on much. What did you learn from from doing your tent count experiment? Well, I wish I started the count three years ago for one thing. <laughs> that, that would have uh, that would have been great. But I think what I learned, and I'm not sure if the I have enough data to really extrapolate a trend here. But so the, the goal was to count the tents in Coronado Park and then a bunch of other common areas around greater downtown to kind of see what the buffer areas, if you will, were, were looking like. And there was a small trend over this year of noticing fewer tents in the buffer areas and more tents in Coronado Park. It suggests some kind of in-migration to, uh, to Coronado Park, although, you know, with the caveat that this is, this is a small snapshot. I'm not going to the near North Valley on this or, you know, International District or other hotspots around town. So, you know, I learned some tentative things, but mainly this is a monitoring exercise to, to not be surprised anymore <laughs> with what the city's doing in that neighborhood. Clearly at this point, Coronado Park is a place that the city admits has a situation that's untenable. We've talked a little bit about this. I wanted to get a sense of what has the city tried to do? And did you, from your reporting and just looking at the situation, feel that they had hoped something would work? They've tried that initial zero tolerance approach. They would uh, kick people out every day at, at 10 p.m. They've tried just allowing an encampment to happen. They've tried reinforcing the fence. They've tried outreach to area businesses, including, you know, stuff we would never think about, like making sure Wi-Fi signals were, were secure. I guess on the theory that you know, a bunch of people in Coronado Park, you don't want them stealing your Wi-Fi, or maybe that was an attractive nuisance or something like that. They've also bought that building nearby as well. Yeah. And I guess there was some idea that locating city offices there might help them manage that situation at Coronado Park, uh, or at the very least, they'd have they'd have some more office space and in, in an area where they might want it. I've never got the impression that there is a grand plan here. The vibe is definitely a series of tactics that we are going to try to mitigate this situation, keep the neighborhood, if not happy, then tolerant enough, and then kind of get through the day and, and see what else we can do to, to address the larger problem elsewhere. I did ask at that press conference roughly how many people were living at Coronado Park. Yeah, the numbers uh, range from at the very high end 120, but somewhat more recently, especially the counts have been lower, as low as 60. And so it does range. I'd say probably 100 to 130 would be my guess. Yeah. I mean, just based on the tent count, if you assume like 1.3 people per tent mm -hmm. or something like that. So we mentioned that press conference throughout this show in late July, the mayor holds this news conference, essentially announcing the park's closure. You know, one thing that struck me 
was the mayor's opening remarks. I, I know some people might have seen this as a bit of a surprise, but they really shouldn't be. He really seemed to acknowledge that first it's been a longstanding problem. But he also seemed to to really put out this idea that, you know, this is nothing new. And I mentioned at the state of the city that we were revisiting our policies. Not sure anyone really uh, understood what that meant. But if you would have asked, I would have told you it has to do with Coronado Park and it has to do with encampments. And we also said that the status quo will not stand. I think it was four weeks ago. That's the status quo. We shouldn't be surprised by this idea that the park is closing. Um, it, it felt like a very defensive press conference in some sense. We have said this numerous times. We are no longer going to stand for the status quo in Coronado Park. That is a old announcement. So I'm saying it again for about the 10th time. I wanted to ask both you, Gabby and Peter, because you both went to this. What stood out to you about this news conference? Yeah, he was he, he was a little indignant about it. I mean, part of me is sympathetic to that point. His administration has broken up an encampment before in Coronado Park in the last year or so. They've also broken up an encampment, a much smaller one in Wells Park by the community center. So it shouldn't be out of the realm of possibility in our collective imagination that he might break up an encampment in Coronado Park again. Now, on the other side of that, he's not just breaking up the encampment. He's literally closing the park. Right. Uh, Which is a big step. And I think being indignant about people not foreseeing literally (laughs) like putting up a chain link fence around a public park, that's a little far fetched. But yeah, I don't know. That's it's he needed an argument and he used that one. What surprised me was kind of the the nature of when we asked, okay, well, what is the park going to be like? The city gave a laundry list of, well, we'll try this. You know, we could even down the line try to make this a park where homeless can stay with rules and regulations. But when reporters were sort of lobbing those questions at the mayor and his staff, well, what do you want this park to be? They didn't really give an answer. They just said, well, we're going to have to try things and we might fail, but we're going to try something different because something different needs to be done. But like we've already kind of acknowledged in this discussion is the city has tried a lot of those things and some, a lot of them haven't quite worked. So I guess it was just a little surprising that there was not really a clear plan given like we're going to close this park and then what? I mean, normally politicians would like you to believe they have a plan. It's weird when you show up and they tell you they don't. Right. However, if you've covered Coronado Park uh, as long as I have, yeah, they don't really have a, they don't have a grand plan. They have a series of strategies that they've tried. And this is, is, is kind of the latest one. And we also know that we're going to have to try different aspects of this and see how they work. So we're going to learn. I think that's the most important thing. We're going to start taking steps and we're going to listen and we're going to learn and we're going to take action. That's what this announcement is all about. We are going to start that process. We are no longer going to stand idly by and watch what happens in Coronado Park. We're going to try and we're going to see what works. And we're going to see what doesn't and we're going to adapt along the way. Can I just say something about the, the overall tenor of that, that press conference yeah. and about this entire issue in general? You know, for years, the city... And, you know, we in the media and the people of Albuquerque have framed Coronado Park as though it is something that just happened to the city and it just happened in this particular park. And that cannot possibly be true. 
the city is actually quite good at clearing encampments. They've done it in Coronado Park before. They've done it at other area parks before. They do it on the sides of freeways, like the bike trail by I-40. They do it all the time. You know, meanwhile, we have, as Coronado Park is this disaster, we have Santa Barbara Martinez Town Park just across the tracks. It's very close to all the social services that, that people in Coronado Park use. And it's, you know, the reason Coronado Park, we say, the official narrative of why Coronado Park is the way it is, is because it's really close to the Rocket Noonday, really close to HopeWorks, really close to healthcare for the homeless. But so is Santa Barbara Martinez Town Park. And so is Wells Park. And so is the Coronado Dog Park. And there are no homeless encampments there. Like the reason this is happening in Coronado Park is some kind of de facto city authorization for it to happen. Now, if you ask the city, they will, they will not say like, we're telling people, hey, go to Coronado Park. But one way or another, word has gotten around that this is the one park in a big city with a lot of parks. This is the one park where you won't be bothered. The narrative is definitely like Coronado Park is something that happened to all of us. But in reality, we kind of, you know, nudged it into existence uh, in some ways. And it's just, it's something that doesn't, doesn't really get out there very often. And it's become kind of acceptable in our society, right? You just drive by, you know, it's going to be there and it's just part of our, it's been become part of kind of the framework, Coronado specifically. Like sure, you just yeah. always know it's going to be there. Yeah. It's just as the way it is. I've seen people, you know, sharing concerns with us at KRQE and just online in general about downtown as a whole saying, you know, where will these people go if the dangerousness is dispersed? Will it be harder to get a handle on the nuisance factor? And I did ask the mayor about that at that news conference. What do you say to people who live downtown and people in the community who are worried that, that, that those dangers might be more dispersed or harder to get a handle on for police who have limited resources or the city who have limited resources? I think you gotta call a spade a spade. That is way more dangerous than anything anywhere else in our city by far. So if it becomes more dangerous after, we will evaluate and we'll change and you know maybe it'll come right back. But there is no way we can stand idly by and let how many pounds of fentanyl, I mean, how many guns are recovered, stabbing last week, five homicides. That's the most dangerous place in the state of New Mexico. But what do you say, I guess, to people who are worried that that will move downtown or like deter people from wanting to, you know, have safe businesses and, and enjoy downtown? We have lots of concerns and lots of worries, but I am more worried about five people being killed in this park. And all we can do is address the challenge that's in front of us. And if there are other problems that creep up, we'll do the best we can. What do you think is the overall impact of having Coronado Park in this position that we're at here now in 2022? The overall impact. So that's a that's a fascinating question. So we're recording this on the Tuesday after the city council passed a moratorium on sanctioned homeless encampments, usually known as safe outdoor spaces. And as I stayed up late last night watching that happen, I, I couldn't help but wonder if the fate of these more organized encampments with, you know, check-in policies and opaque fencing uh, is intricately tied up with this park, which is the exact opposite of that. For the next year, the city will no longer approve any city-sanctioned homeless camps after city councilors approved a moratorium. The moratorium passed the vote of 6-3. to three. That puts the ordinance on pause, so no more camps will be approved. It's difficult to really understand the distinction unless you've 
been to both places. Like, and you know, I've visited a safe outdoor space before in Las Cruces. It's difficult to understand like how different these things are. Uh, and the terminology they use for both of these things is uh, terrible. So it may well be that when it's all said and done, the existence of this giant advertisement for take your pick, a bureaucratic failure, political failure, moral failure, some kind of failure, this, this giant poster board for, for that has uh, made it immensely more difficult to, to try other solutions for homelessness. I'd say beyond that, it's, it's almost an immense distraction because, you know, whichever side you, you fall on, homelessness is basically about either addiction, mental illness, or the price of housing. And instead of talking about that, we tend to talk a lot about a park that happens to be in an extremely prominent location. Now, this is not to say the city is doing nothing. They've poured record amounts of money into, into housing uh, vouchers, affordable housing projects. They're doing the Gateway Center. There are, there are other things happening. But this is an immensely complicated issue that gets into all sorts of areas that we, that we don't really touch on. Like, probably if you, if you talk to an, an expert in addiction, they'll tell you that one of our biggest problems is a lack of staffers to, to, and medical personnel to help people through the opiate treatment programs that actually do work pretty decently. At the same time, we have a, a housing situation where in the United States, it used to be extremely common to have a lot of options below that of a, uh, an efficiency apartment. You had rooming houses and boarding houses, flop houses. You could rent them by the, by the night. Uh, a lot of these were, you know, some of these were charity operations. Some of them were private sector. Like the, the Santa Fe Railway back like 100 years ago helped start one of these places for their workers. It was the original YMCA in Albuquerque. So we used to have a lot of these options, but we, those went away. You know, we've had 40 years of underbuilding uh, in, in the construction center sector. And so we're just in this massive pit. Whether you want to focus on addiction or mental illness or housing, we're behind on all three. And so it's sort of tragic that Coronado Park which is at best symptom management for a larger problem, gets to play such a prominent role in, in this issue because it's a lot less dramatic, although much more complicated and technical, than, uh, than one park. And that speaks to the issue of, you know, why the city doesn't have like one single plan they can point to that's like, oh yeah, this is the solution. Because as you mentioned, and we've all acknowledged, and I think anybody who lives in Albuquerque can acknowledge the problem is complicated. And so the solution is complicated. For folks who don't know what a safe outdoor space is, what do you think is the biggest difference between a safe outdoor space and what's happening at Coronado Park? Sure. It's night and day. I mean, Coronado Park is is as close to anarchy as you can get. Well, well being in Albuquerque, I mean, imagine a campground, but it's free open to anyone who happens to walk by it's next to I 40, which can bring the entire nation, anyone at all in there. You know, the city puts staffers out there from time to time to go check on things. And they clean it up every couple of weeks. There's not really much in the way of structure or rules or, or anything like that. Uh, now contrast that with probably the most famous safe outdoor space in New Mexico, which is Camp Hope in, in Las Cruces. 
And first of all, you can't walk into Camp Hope unless you have a reason to be there, right? It's, it's fenced. You need, you need, in my case, the executive director to escort you in there or someone at the, the front booth, like it's a gated community, oh. is going to tell you, you know, what the hell are you doing here? Go away. You know, some of these places have sign-in sheets, some kind of 24-hour guard, whether that's the residents themselves taking turns or, uh, or something else like that. There are designated spaces. So there's, it's not like people are going to fight over, you know, who goes where, because there's a, there's a structure that says, okay, this site is yours. That site is yours. Often there's some kind of equipment for a more industrial strength tent that they may provide to people. In the case of Las Cruces, they've got these three-sided mini sheds, Mm. uh, essentially. So a lot of people put their tent inside of those, which is, you can imagine, pretty good because, you know, the sun damage and wind damage can can destroy a tent pretty quick. In Las Cruces, there's a little outdoor kitchen and there are bathrooms. So the types of problems that tend to crop up with completely unregulated homeless encampments like Coronado Park are that, you know, you got a bunch of people who could be a problem to anyone at any time and nobody's keeping an eye on them. That's one. There's often no formal place to go to the bathroom. I mean, there's, there's porta potties at Coronado Park, but other encampments around town, you know, with no bathrooms, you can imagine the problems that crop up there and there's no uh, formal trash removal or, you know, anything like that. So, I mean, it's, it's almost unfair to refer to safe outdoor spaces as encampments. They're really kind of extremely primitive homeless shelters. They're kind of like army barracks. Uh, you know, if, you've, if you're on the forward operating base in, in England and, you know, right before D-Day or something, yeah, you're living in a tent, but you've got, you know, you've got a bathroom to go to, you know, you've got a place to be and it's all, it's all above board. So, and this is, again, this is kind of the tragedy, particularly if you're an advocate of safe outdoor spaces, the tragedy of conflating Coronado Park with them, you know, whether you're in favor of, of these formal encampments or not, they have nothing to do with what we see at Coronado Park. But you don't have to be sober to stay at a safe outdoor space. I know that that was a point of contention with like the tiny home village and other potential solutions is, you know, a lot of these folks, they can't commit to being off substances if that's one of their issues. I mean, and it's, you can kind of write whatever rules you want. I mean, in, in theory, you could, you could do that at a shelter. Some shelters just have very restrictive rules. Like you can't, you know, you can't be here if you're, a man, for example, or we want you to sit through a sermon or something like that. I mean, that, that's, uh, I talked to a guy at the Las Cruces encampment who was like, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to sit through the sermon at the shelter. And so I'm here. So, I mean, you can put whatever restrictions you want on whatever kind of facility you've got, but the people who are into safe outdoor spaces tend to be the sort of people who are like, come as you are, behave yourself. But what you do inside your tent is none of my business just as you know, what, what you two do in your homes is none of mine. And it, it, it gets to a kind of weird situation with this expectation of, of sobriety. It's a bunch of people who are not sober in their own homes, expecting other people to be sober in their homes. Expecting sobriety is not a tremendously practical way to get people off greater downtown streets. That gets into a kind of protracted moral psychodrama that really dominates this debate over homelessness and whichever side of that you fall on, that argument unresolved still leaves a lot of people in parks and on streets near greater downtown. It's not really solving the, 
the actual issue that people in, in my coverage area are facing every day. There's clearly a lot more work to be done to figure out as complicated of an issue as homelessness in Albuquerque. And I think you raise a good point is that Coronado Park may be untenable and people don't want to see it happen, but it is also, I think, creating a narrative now that seemingly is having an effect on making any longstanding strides towards other decisions related to how to solve homelessness in the city in other ways. And, and I've seen this in other cities. It's like people think homeless and they think, you know, someone begging on the street and sleeping on the street, but it might not be. I mean, it might just be somebody, you know, at a shelter who you would not recognize as homeless. It might be somebody crashing with friends in between jobs or, or just, you know, some, some crazy uncle who, who drinks too much and we let him live in the, in the casita or something like that. Like that's homelessness too. But unfortunately the most visible, hard, most hardcore homeless people dominate our, our kind of visibility of this situation and thus the policy discussion. Uh, which is another reason the housing aspect uh, kind of gets short shrift sometimes, but we can talk about this for hours. I know. <laughs> we really can. There's just a lot of layers to this. It's, it's not as simple as just Coronado Park. A lot to unpack and a lot to keep an eye on for as far as what our own city and, you know, government policymakers will decide. Because as you said, a lot of this is not politically rewarding. Yeah. Homeless people don't have a lot of political power. So that's one problem. Homeless people have tended to congregate in certain parts of Albuquerque as well. So you can reliably count on the city councilors who represent downtown and Knob Hill and the International District. You know, I've been covering city politics or covering or following city politics for 17 years now. Jeez. And those city councilors have always cared about homelessness. Mm -hmm. It's always been a lot harder to get other people to care about it. Because if you live on the West side or in the Northeast Heights, it's a lot easier to just drive away from the problem and not worry about it. And so that, that means it's, it's extremely difficult to, to do anything about it because it's, it's always somebody else's problem. The unfortunate part for a downtown based reporter is, is it gets fobbed off on downtown mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the times. The politics, this is a problem from hell. This is just horrible. We are decades behind doing anything about it. Uh, we have massive constituencies that actively don't want to do anything about it. And most of that fight ends up being bad for people who live in greater downtown UNM Knob Hill, uh, in the surrounding neighborhoods. It's bad for e downtown's economic development potential. It's bad for the city's reputation. It's just awful. Albuquerque, if, if we could get a grip on this, this would be a completely different town and it would be 500% better. But that's a vision that only certain people living in certain parts of the city can, can even dream of. Thanks again to Peter Rice for joining us this week. So the park again is now officially closed and that is an indefinite closure with no date on reopening or if it will even reopen anytime in the future. 
In a news release, the mayor's office said, quote, until an appropriate next use decision is reached, the park will remain closed and outreach will continue to the unsheltered. So another key piece of this, the park is no longer being used as a pickup spot for the Westside Emergency Housing Center. That is what the city calls the WEC. As for the future of the park, that's sort of a toss up. On one hand, Keller said that the closure was in part about preserving the option of the city reopening it as a public park once again in the future. He also mentioned the park could be used as something else, like a safe outdoor space for homeless. But by August 17th, the day that the mayor closed the park, Mayor Keller was a little more specific about options for that park. He mentioned the idea of building supportive or affordable housing in that area, He also mentioned a potential for using the park as additional space for the city's neighboring fire station to expand. And finally, he again suggested that the park could be reopened in the future. But this was a bit more telling. Mayor Keller also suggested that a park should be in the heart of a neighborhood. We are proceeding with a brand new, bigger park, a couple of blocks that way at the Walker property. So we believe that this community is going to get a beautiful, awesome new park that we will keep safe. And so uh, that's why we're going to emphasize that's where a park should be, in the heart of a neighborhood, not next to a highway. So for this area, we're more looking at public safety uses. The fire station has long been needed uh, expansion and training area. We will have another episode for you next week. You can reach me at gabrielle.burkhardt at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. And I'm at Chris McKee TV on social media. So Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also reach me at email at chris.mckee at krqe.com. Thanks for listening. 